Hello, my name is Krista Jones, founder and CEO of Virginia Leadership Institute, and welcome to A Seat at the Table. The purpose of this show is to bring together thought leaders and experts from different fields just to talk about how we can all become more engaged in society. And today we're going to talk about youth. You know, as I've gone in my journey trying to develop more leaders, I often think about what skills are needed to have help people be better influencers, have them be p better public speakers, have them just make more of an impact on their community. So I think it's natural to think about how can we start to influence youth earlier and help them be stronger members of our society. So today we have four wonderful guests who are gonna talk about just different aspects of youth development in the Northern Virginia DC metro area. First we have Glenn Hopkins with Hopkins House and Caroline Jones with Doorways for Women and Families. Welcome both of you to a seat at the table. Thank you. Thank you. So if both of you could just start off by telling me a little bit about your interaction with youth and the work that you do. Um, I'm at Hopkins House. It's a 77-year-old organization founded in Alexandria. And we primarily work with two sets of folks. Uh, one are young children under the age of five. And the second group are, are teens and young adults who are trying to get their college degree. Um, and our interaction with them largely is inspiring them to do educationally better than they think they're capable of doing. And, and it's a daily routine for us. It's exciting and fun. We're mm -hmm. celebrating our 77th year, mm -hmm. founded in 1939. Excellent. And yes, Chris, I was there in 1939. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Glenn. Great. Caroline? Um, yeah, Doorways for Women and Families hasn't been um, been here quite as long as Hopkins House. We started in uh, 1978 as Arlington's first shelter for families who were homeless in this community. And we've uh, grown quite a bit in our 39 years and we provide help for families who are homeless and um, are Arlington's primary provider for uh, both young uh, survivors and, and adults who are impacted by domestic and sexual violence. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you both see youth facing today? I'd say the, the things that I see, particularly among teenagers, is a lack of confidence okay. uh, in themselves okay. um, and the society in which they exist. And what I mean by confidence is understanding what their rights are, understanding of their own personal presence and their capability. And, uh, and this is particularly true, I think, of, of, of minority males who mm -hmm. are... Uh, less confident than I think they ought to be. If you compare, for example, um, their confidence on the basketball court versus wow. their confidence in the streets, it's dramatically different. And that is, I think, tragic in this day and age. So what are some of the things that you all are doing or that you see doing to kind of bridge that gap? One is, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I, I use a lot of what I learned as a child. You know, one of the first things my dad taught me in terms of uh, confidence building is to have an education. Know that you are equally smart as someone else. Mm -hmm. And whether that's in playing cards or whether that's in basketball playing or whether that is in school or books, you can do that privately. My dad would say, you know, if you don't want to show your, your, your friends that you're reading a book, read it privately, mm -hmm. but know as much oh. as the guy next door. Mm -hmm. And that way you enter the world very confident in what you know and what your rights are. And that gives off a different set of, of a different image mm -hmm. when you're working with, with, with kids. And that's one of the things I try to inspire kids to, to be as smart as you can be, even if it means you're being privately smart. Mm -hmm. But gives you a level of confidence. Excellent. And Caroline, what about you? What are some of the challenges you see with some of the homeless youth? Well, I think very similar to what Glenn is saying. I think um, we, we come, at that come at that through a lens of empowerment. Mm -hmm. And I think where, where 
we meet families is at an intersection where they feel a lot has happened to them, and it has. And how, but none of it they asked for, none of it they really know how or why they were in the situations they were in, but increasingly uh, we hear from kids that they somehow feel like it was their fault. Mm -hmm. And I think empowering our, our youngest um, clients at Doorways, who range in age from zero to 18, that, um, that they have opportunities, that they have um, choices in life, and really helping them see what a healthy relationship can look like. Mm -hmm. um, that can be really empowering and really break cycles that we see too often repeat in mm -hmm. violence. Those who are most at risk for interpersonal violence are people under 18. Wow. And what we see is the biggest predictor of being in a violent relationship as an adult is prior abuse. Wow. So if we can get there sooner and break these cycles sooner, and empower people to know that they have choices and that they can do things to um, have healthy relationships. We really want to be there for them. And what are some of the things that, you, what are some of the best practices that both of you see? So you talk about building confidence, you talk about breaking this cycle, but what are some of the actual programs or great things that are going on to do that? I think modeling is, is rather important. You bring in folks that look like uh, yes. the very folks you're dealing with. Um, and you make sure there's a conversation as opposed to a lecture. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think in best practices, it really is meeting a young person where they are as mm -hmm. opposed to where you think they ought to be. Or So that's critical. The second piece is making sure with regard to best practices that you are aware of the limitations that you have. Mm -hmm. um, and those limitations include what's real in life and what you wish life were. Mm -hmm. um, the example I would give you is I'm an African-American male. Um, and the reality is in this particular day and age, unfortunately, is that when I drive my car faster than I should, I'm more likely to be pulled over than someone else. Mm -hmm. So that's a reality. It's, now, where I'd like it to be is that that were not the case. Mm -hmm. But we need to push back to where that reality is and you adjust yourself around that reality. And as an example of that, um, a lot of the violence that's going on, I think, in, in varying parts of the country, uh, there is a lack of understanding of that reality of where we are today with, mm. with police interactions. And uh, once you move past this notion of where you'd like to be different than where we are, I think it empowers you to know what your options are, as we refer to, what your options are mm -hmm. in life. Mm -hmm. And those options can be, why fight with a police officer at this point in time? Right. Just take the ticket and then go to court. You know what your rights are. Right. Fight that battle in court, right. as opposed to arguing with the police officer who then tackles you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between that reality and where you want life to be. Mm -hmm. And just out of curiosity, both, do you think that's changed over time, that attitude of maybe um, not understanding what is really going on and not being honest with yourself about the situation that we're in today with youth. I mean, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, to me, I feel like it, it kind of has in what I've seen. I just, and I think you hear about our parents' generation. They, they were just, I don't want to say more respectful, but um, they had an awareness of what was going on in the world and their place in the world. But I don't think that youth today really see it that way. I don't know if you guys noticed any change over time and mm -hmm particularly when it comes to something like police community relations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I would interject that, that, that um, I deal with children from six weeks to five years old. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've noticed different than when I was raised was that moms, the, the, the family is no longer there in the way that you and I r would remember it. Mm -hmm. um, we have lots of children, for example, who 
are the children of fairly young folks or teenagers having children. Mm -hmm. um, and their parents were young, and the experiences that their parents shared with them are not the things my parents shared with me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and it's experiential. It's not anything that's being deprived. It's just that they haven't had the experience yet. So a mother is sitting with the child and saying, listen, and there's a wonderful uh, record, by the way, uh, Ocean put out, Frank Ocean's put out, and there's a, a line in it where the mom gives Frank Ocean a lecture by going to college. Don't take drugs, don't do marijuana. It's one of those wonderful segments. But essentially, it is what my mother did. Mm -hmm. I rarely hear that in a lot of the families that I'm dealing with now. So much, going back to your best practices case, institutions, whether that's public schools, government, or nonprofits like mine, we're we become the surrogates for parents. Yes. And that's, I think, a problem. We've got to fix that somehow. So, Carolyn, what do you think about parental engagement? I mean, you know, you're dealing with populations of people mm -hmm. where it's especially hard. You know, we think it's hard for parents, you know, middle America to, to middle income to, to rear their children like they should today, but you're dealing with parents who are homeless. Mm -hmm. So what, how do you see that interaction with children today? Actually, I, I think I see a different side of it. Mm -hmm. I see parents who haven't been able to be the kind of parent they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't believe anybody has a child and sets out for that child to not have a place to live mm -hmm. or a meal to eat or a parent that's not abusive. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that people that I have the honor to work with come to doorways ready for that start to mm -hmm. be the parent that they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And one of the best practices that we really stand behind is, is being very family-centered in what we do and helping our parents find jobs where they can spend time with their yes. kids, where they don't have to leave it all. You know, um, these families have been through enough and they really need that time together. They need that nurturing. They need those life lessons. And we need to reverse some of these, um, some of these things these kids have been taught. Mm -hmm. uh, things like uh, there's huge correlation between bullying and yes. growing up in a violent home. Wow. And I think just helping to, to show kids what a relationship can look like. You mm -hmm. know, um, they've looked up to the parent in the home that maybe got what they wanted, uh, by using tactics that weren't very appropriate exactly. or safe. And to really help give parents who are really trying to start over with their kids that space and that time mm -hmm. and that support mm -hmm. is, I think, a vital practice so that we can really give kids who are very vulnerable what they need to build forward. And so our next two guests are going to be from the school board. So they're gonna talk a little bit more about the way the school system interacts. But I would love to hear from your perspective how, how are the schools doing? How is local government doing in terms of dealing with youth from your perspectives? I think the school systems uh, that I'm familiar with are getting better mm -hmm. at understanding their role. Mm -hmm. I think they're still challenged a bit. I think society's imposing that challenge. As I mentioned before, I think um, a lot of parents, not all parents, but a lot of parents have turned their children over to the school system. Mm -hmm. So the school system is the educator, the mom, the dad, the social worker, the doctor, all those things. And I think that is somewhat confusing, but I think the school systems are navigating through that, and I think they're beginning mm -hmm. to show some good, good uh, positive um, changes as they adjust to that. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, the school systems have to recognize they can't be all those things right. and do those things well. That's right. Yeah, definitely. What about you, Karen? I, I echo that completely. I think um, I've, I've been in Arlington for 20 years and, and have uh, teenage daughters here in the schools and so I get to see it from many, many angles. And I think that the schools have really come a long way in even just recently in 
um, recognizing those very limitations and looking for partnerships. Mm -hmm. I think that's an, a space that we can continue to fill together. Mm -hmm. um, just recently, uh, we have a, a collaborative here in Arlington County that includes police and courts and Absolutely. judges and it's called Project Peace where mm -hmm. we've been working for 10 years to coordinate a response for people impacted by violence. We didn't have the schools at the table okay. and we didn't have teenagers in the conversation. Okay. And I think where we've seen some incredible progress is just in the past two years, we now have a healthy relationships teen committee Excellent. that is active, informing our county board of what they're seeing, Excellent. informing us on the, on the service side, what they need, what they're up against. Excellent. And um, the conversation is moving forward because of that. Excellent. Well, thank you both. You all have provided a lot of insight into how we can all become more engaged with the youth in our community and the great work and also some of the challenges that lie ahead in terms of youth in the DC metro area. So thank you Caroline Jones again. Thank you Glenn Hopkins um, for being on a seat at the table. Thank you. Thank you. So we're back um, on a seat at the table to talk with two of our local school board members. We just had a great conversation about some of the challenges that youth are facing but we want to talk about how the schools are engaged and how we are or not getting support from local government. So first we have Chris Lewis, who is vice chair of the Alexandria City School Board. And we have James Lander, who is former chair of the Arlington County School Board. Welcome to a seat at the table. Thank you. Thank you. So if both of you could just tell me what are some of the issues from your perspective that you're seeing that the school systems are facing today? Chris. Well, uh, in Alexandria City, uh, the motto for our school division is every student succeeds and I think all of the challenges that we face uh, are geared towards living up to that motto. And so uh, when you think about uh, the challenging uh, uh, demographics that we have, increasing diversity from all across the globe that we're seeing in Alexandria, uh, when, you, when you think about the, uh, the capacity issues that we have, making sure that we have enough space for the growing enrollment that we we're seeing in Alexandria. Those are some of the biggest challenges that we're facing, but it's always geared towards how do we make sure that every individual student is served and none slip through the cracks. Excellent. James? Yes, I, I would echo some of those challenges. I mean, each school system faces issues that uh, stretch nationwide, and of course there are specific issues to each individual district. In Arlington, we are uh, a diverse district, over a hundred languages spoken. Uh, education is our, uh, for each student is our priority. And with regard to how we deal with those challenges, I think the uh, diverse climate of the amount of information children are receiving is different from previous years. Mm -hmm. And so helping them uh, filter through all the nonsense and learn how to make good decisions is always a challenge for us. And we have so many different diverse learners uh, on the spectrum of uh, autism mm -hmm. and uh, dyslexia. Uh, we want to make sure that we're able to reach each child when it comes to making them the best learner they can be. So the previous two guests talked about parental engagement and parental involvement. And you always hear about exactly what they said, that the schools are now having to raise kids today. So what are how, how do you all see that? Um, and what are some things that are maybe being done to um, involve parents more? Well, in Alexandria, we've, uh, for the past four years, had uh, what we call face centers, family and community engagement centers. Mm -hmm. And they've been extremely helpful, our face center staff, in being the driving, the leading edge to outreach to our diverse populations, especially to our, uh, our recently uh, 
uh, arrived immigrant families. Uh, we, we have uh, four dominant languages uh, in Alexandria plus many dozen others. Mm -hmm. and, and so in order to reach folks who may not uh, be accustomed to the, uh, the culture of American schools, yes. uh, the culture of American public schools, mm -hmm. and the level of parent engagement that takes, we use these centers to, to uh, do outreach, uh, to provide training to parents about how American schools work Excellent. and to make them aware of all the services that are available in the city uh, for families to, to get the help that they need. Excellent. James? Arlington, we have a similar program. We have a coordinator for family and co community engagement. We have uh, uh, outreach folks within the Office of Minority Achievement working with our uh, second language population, recently transitioned immigrants, as uh, Chris spoke to. Uh, one of the beautiful things about public school, one of the things that I believe in and, w and why I got involved with the board is that you have to educate who shows up. Right. You don't get to sort through the pack. Right. And so as a public school system, it doesn't matter how much money your parents make, what language they speak, or how, uh, 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 the color of your skin. Uh, ensuring that each child has an opportunity to be the best Krista, Chris, James that they can be is our goal. And so uh, as my tenure on the board, uh, we have pushed towards uh, no excuses. It doesn't matter how you arrived. Mm -hmm. How do we help you get to the next step? So what about, you know, for me, I was always involved in a lot of after school activities, um, whether it was associated with the school or outside of the school. What are some of the things that you all see that your school systems are doing well in terms of that, or really encouraging that extracurricular leadership development, sports? What else are you guys doing? Well, I know from what I hear about uh, James' division in Arlington and certainly in Alexandria, I think all of the regional schools or school systems are doing a great job of providing uh, not only a, a variety of options for students to get engaged, to find that thing that, that gets them energized to show up and be in school, but, but also uh, to increase the rigor of, of those offerings. So uh, we, you know, we have every kind of extracurricular activity that you could think of. Uh, I think our, our local governments are providing uh, a very robust uh, rec department programming. Uh, but in the schools, uh, we try to make sure that every student has an opportunity to, to try uh, different academic courses. So mm -hmm. uh, whether it's our STEM Academy, uh, which is not uh, just open to our high achievers, but to open that to anyone who really has an interest in learning Excellent. about science and technology, or, or our open enrollment honors program, so that students who may not have been in a gifted and talented program can, can challenge themselves mm -hmm. and try an honors class or two uh, and see if uh, you know, they might find an area that really suits them that they can excel in. I, I think we're trying to give those sorts of rigorous options to all of our students. Excellent. Excellent. In Arlington, we echo what, what Chris referenced in Alexandria City, and so I'll speak to the wraparound services. Arlington is one of the few districts uh, still left that doesn't charge for extracurricular activities okay. and allows students to have instruments, and, and whether it's tuba, I remember uh, last year we, we were in a sh shortage of tubas, and I was <laughs> like, how is that possible? But uh, as I referenced earlier, the diverse um, the one, the amount of information students are taking in, their uh, desires t tend to be more diverse. You talked about coming home after school and, and getting involved with extracurricular activities. Now there's computers, and mm -hmm. so the world is open up to these young people, and they're finding that their interests vary. And so it puts um, 
the school system in a position to offer more, and that, that takes more investment from our community and our county boards, which uh, I know in Alexandria City and Arlington have been very supportive. So what about educational disparities? So, you know, despite all of the great things that our school system are doing, some of our students simply aren't succeeding like they should. What are, what are each of your school systems doing about that? Well, I think in Alexandria, we've tried to take uh, an approach of individualizing our work, mm -hmm. uh, and that, that manifests itself in a lot of ways. Uh, it certainly starts with making sure that uh, our staff and our administrators are challenged to know exactly where every student is, follow their data. Mm -hmm. uh, we follow data very closely in Alexandria, and then once you know where a student is, you can, uh, you can take the right approach to help them either accelerate or, or remediate their work. And uh, we challenge uh, every, every school, every principal to, to know their data um, and, and then to work from there. But individualized instruction, I think, is, is the challenge for public education right now. Uh, uh, you can't have a one-size-fits-all approach to, to public education anymore uh, if we have as diverse populations as we're seeing in our schools. Right, right. Chris and I are both from districts that have uh, access to resources and that makes a difference mm -hmm. and we also uh, have a one-to-one -one device with technology and data or things that we're utilizing to make sure that we uh, are better at diverse uh, differentiation when we teach to the different types of students as, as they are varied learners in the classroom but one of the things that I think is most important as 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 leadership leadership folks in in the school system is that we have to be able to um, stop grouping kids together by uh, race and, 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 and by mm -hmm. uh, prerequisites of what their expectations will be. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I often tell the story, my sister and I grew up in the same household, same racial background, same social economic background, two different types of learners. Mm -hmm. There's a gap between us. Mm -hmm. I acknowledge that. But the gap should not, your, 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 social economic status, your race, the language you speak shouldn't be a prerequisite for mm -hmm. failure. And that's one of the things that I think we have to do as we personalize and individualize our methods of reaching students. We also have to change the type of measures that we do. If all of the black kids do this and all of the white kids do that, we'll always come up with flawed data. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we're looking to change. Uh, uh, Arlington, as, as Chris uh, reference in Alexandria is a diverse community. So we have biracial children. Mm -hmm. What category do exactly. they go in? Do we, we, we put the high achieving biracial children with the low targeted groups so we can raise those numbers? We have to look at children and measure them as individuals, not just as Chris referenced, teach them as individuals. Can I just add? I yes. think that's mm -hmm. a great point because every student, you get, you've got to reach that child where they are academically and where they are socially and emotionally. And, mm -hmm. And we've just started, and now as Andrew talking uh, about a revamp of our cultural competency training, which I think to this date was virtually non-existent. But we're very lucky to have someone who actually did the cultural competency work. I was going to say, <laughs> no, we we we're he had leadership okay. in, in Alexandria is uh, uh, matriculated from Arlington. <laughs> so there's there's a tree of of, of coaching tree in football. It's, it's football season is upon us. It's a coaching tree yeah. there, which we we're happy to share the wealth. There's nothing wrong with, with stealing Absolutely. from folks who are doing it well. We, and I we think willingly give it up. We I, willingly give yeah, it up. Yeah, I think that's an area where Arlington's done well that we're trying to catch up on. Uh, because when you when you deal with you know true cultural competency training, right. uh, you help your staff and and hopefully you help your students 
learn to understand what perceptions they arrive with mm -hmm. and how that impacts how they approach each individual student. And, and it's something we're just starting to work on and we're, and we're glad to be modeling it off of what Arlington did. Now, go ahead, go ahead. I, I just wanted to, to compliment Alexandria City in their commitment because as a, as, a ref, as a reference, we're both districts that have access to resources. That makes a difference. So, so I can't discount the importance of that. But the commitment still has to be there. You right. can have res resources, but if you're not committed to making a change, then you're just going through the motions. And, and as Chris referenced, they are making that uh, uh, more cu cultural competence training available to staff. And why that makes a difference is there are two uh, black males standing here or sitting here uh, speaking to you, but our, we are a sum of our experiences. And, and Chris's experience in life and how he got to this point and, and how I got to my point on the school board are different. So I want you to see two black males, but I also want you to see Chris, exactly. and I want you to see James, exactly. and that's the difference. People say, well, I don't see color. No, well, I want you to see color, exactly. but I want you to see me, and I right. think that's what we're teaching our, 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 our instructors and our administrators so that they see each child differently. And Melanie Hobson um, calls it color brave instead of color blind, like right. really, you know, That's being true. ready yeah. to stand up for it. Now, are your colleagues being receptive to this new kind of model? Because so long it's been, you know, when you look at the data, it's black people do this, white people do this, Hispanic people do this. Are they receptive? I know you said the commitment is there and you're doing the cultural competency, but is the receptivity there in terms of this new model of looking at well, disparities? I think we're newer to the approach. And okay. so uh, I know on our board, there's total buy-in mm -hmm. and with our administrators and and since we've just started the school year a day ago right. <laughs> uh, we'll see how it goes with our with our staff mm -hmm. um, I know they began some of their work in the summer but we're really just beginning in earnest but uh, I, I think the the it's undeniable the demographics that we serve uh, when you have families parents coming in speaking Amharic speaking Arabic speaking Spanish uh, you know speaking Russian it, if you if you don't see it in your own classroom uh, and you don't see the need for uh, this sort of training, then then you may not be prepared to actually be a teacher. And so right. I mm. I have faith that our our staff is going to take to it very quickly. Excellent. Yeah. And we only have about a minute left, mm. but I just want to get just a few seconds from each of you. I can't you know leave the show without talking about everything that's going on in this nation. Whether it's you know please community relations, just so many issues that youth are absorbing. I'm sure. How is that playing out in the school systems and what are the school systems doing to kind of address that? Well, I'll speak quickly about Arlington. I, I, I find it interesting because uh, uh, I grew up at a time where we were learning from folks who participated in the civil rights mm -hmm. movement during the 60s. Mm -hmm. Now I am working with youth who are seeing world events in real time. Right, this isn't right. something that they have to wait for someone to read about. Mm -hmm. And so their reaction to it is what we as a school system are helping to helping them to deal with. Excellent. How do you process that information yes. to make good decisions? Wonderful, wonderful. No, I think that's a great point. Uh, I would just add to that. Uh, we. We're very focused on making sure that we're working in collaboration with our partners outside of the school division. Nonprofit communities, certainly our, our city council and, and the county boards, uh, you can't do it alone as a school division. And uh, if, if you try to, it, it really, school, public school systems are not built to do all of this work by themselves. You have to have great partners. And so uh, we're building those relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, uh, and we're, we're setting you know, the standard for what we expect as far as the result. Mm -hmm. um, academically uh, and 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 
uh, and in preparedness for life from our students. Mm -hmm. but, but how we get there, we want to work very closely with our, our nonprofit partners to get there because they bring an expertise, exactly. uh, whether it's you know, the work that your previous guests talked about or other partners in mentor, mentorship or in tutoring. Um, we need their support and right. uh, it really does take the entire community to get behind this uh, effort to make sure that every student has what they need to succeed. Exactly, thank you. Well, thank you James Lander from Arlington. Thank you Chris Lewis from Alexandria. This has been a great conversation about the direction that our youth are going in today um, and I look forward to seeing all, you, all of you out in the community working more with our youth. Thank you.